When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Friday, May 12th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 516 features longtime NBA scribe Ian Thompson. And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. They did it! They're alive! They're alive! Welcome, everyone, to Celtics Beat the Seas. They have forced a Game 7. It's amazing how it all works, right? They go from, like... I don't know, fifth in the championship favorite betting vault up to first again with a win over the Sixers because in winning game six, not in dominating fashion, but they did enough and we'll get to all the specifics as we look ahead to game seven. That means they are now in position to come on home for a game seven where historically they've performed very, very well. In, you know, going back, every team is different. Every year is different. But in NBA history, if you like raw numbers, the Seas are phenomenal in Game 7s at home. They are phenomenal in Game 7s against Philadelphia. And evidently, they are great in the year 2023 at wrecking Mother's Day. With Ian Thompson, Evan Valenti, I'm Adam Kaufman. Gentlemen, it's good to see you. Great to see you. Kaufman, I hope, uh, I gotta be I hope nobody had big Mother's Day plans, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who has Mother's Day plans? <laughs> my my wife not thrilled to wake up to the news that the Celtics won. <laughs> my mom doesn't know yet. We're trying to I'm trying to figure out how I can finagle this. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it, but we're going to figure we're going to figure it out. I promise. Well, look, they you know we don't know obviously as we sit here right now. We won't know until later this evening. So maybe if people are listening tomorrow, you will know by then the time warp that is listening to a podcast. But we will find out based on the Lakers Warriors result whether the Seas will play at three thirty in the afternoon or eight o'clock at night. Those are two very different things. I would prefer the night game. It just, you know, let's open up the day for Mother's Day. Let's, let's, let's give it to the moms throughout the day. Unfortunately, however, uh, you know, it's, that's not up to us. So it might be a mid afternoon game that totally messes with dinner. But the most important thing, most important thing, Ian, putting, uh, you know, all, uh, all, all respect for the moms aside, even Abby Chin. Uh, who, who was excited to work on, on, on her day, on Mother's Day, as she was with us a couple of days ago, because it means good things. It means the Celtics, they still exist. They are still playing for a championship so long as they continue on, survive in advance at this stage. Game six, the big change, there were a lot of changes, but the big change obviously was, uh, in a, in a matter of speaking, Joe Mazzula relenting, relenting to his players, you know, who, who would seemingly behind the scenes, been pushing for Rob Williams to be reinserted into that starting lineup so they could play the lineup that they had as often as they could, as often as they were healthy last year, that Missoula kind of really veered away from this year as he pushed Missoula ball, if you will, in an offense first philosophy as opposed to defense first. But we saw what it did, a game that was 95 to 86, great defense, something we had not seen in a couple of games out of the Boston Celtics. I know we're going to see it again in game seven. There's no way he's going to change anything now, but how impactful to you was that move? Oh, it was everything. And it's the first time in a long time that they made you think about last year's team. And that that was really reflecting badly on Joe Missoula. When you thought about last year at this time, the top defense for months in the NBA and everybody was talking about the Celtics lineup and the versatility and they were all athletic and they all had length. And how do you stop those guys when they're really playing defense? And 
they got away from that this year. And what was the difference? It was the coach. That was the big difference. And so he was in, he was setting himself up or being set up for real criticism. And now if this is the lineup they stick with and Rob Williams can stay healthy, big if, right? But if that's what happens going forward, you know, and they learned some lesson from the last week and, and the previous round as well, you know, about uh, about going forward and playing with discipline. And, uh, you know, if they look like a more mature team, man, there's a lot of ifs in this sentence. Um, <laughs> they, they're going to be in great shape because um, the conference finals is just set up for them to move through. I mean, they're going to have to be serious. Uh, Miami Heat probably are not going to be laying down or anything like that. And they got to deal with Jimmy Butler, but they couldn't have asked for a better draw, you know, and all the talk of should they be number one or number two? Well, it really worked out for them being number two. So, um, yeah, I, I I think that that was the most promising thing that's happened in weeks with the Celtics. Yeah. I don't want to spend much time on this, but it is a talking point. I didn't hear any sport, you know, local sports talk radio today, but I can only imagine they had a field day with it. What did you make of Marcus Smart's post-game comments when he was talking about, you know, he he said that, uh, you know, Joe Mazzula, rightfully so, uh, you know, was was under fire. It, it's just a, it obviously is the longest tenured Celtic. He's a de facto captain without the title. Uh, I, I do think he's very well, you know, highly thought of not only within the organization, but within the room and by the head coach as well. He has a, a relationship with the Missoula that obviously extends years, not just this year. So I would be willing to bet that behind the scenes, there's there's no issue, no animosity there. I think everyone knew where he was coming from and talking about full team accountability, not just the players, but the coach as well. And everyone is growing. And this is Missoula's first time going through it. But even still, you hear the comments and maybe worse if you see it in print, you know, for, for smart to say what he said, was that problematic? Was that a slip of the tongue at all? Oh, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's so great that he did because you're right. The players, they get criticized all the time. And look, you, you go around the league and you see how coaches get criticized. I mean, Greg Popovich used to, People used to say he couldn't coach because Phil Jackson was eating his lunch in the playoffs every year. Shaq was having the best of Tim Duncan and Eric Spolstra. The the reason uh, the the Celtics went to Doc Rivers way back when and gave him an extension was because they were thinking Miami might fire Eric Spolstra and hire Doc. Um, you know, everybody gets credit. Look at how Doc gets skewered every year, and he's he's getting it now. Uh, after this last game. And he's one of the top 15 coaches of all time, according to the most recent list. <laughs> Joe, Joe Mazzula is... <laughs> who are you laughing about? He I, was. He was on the list. Oh, no, I know he was on the list. I just thought the list was so asinine when it came out. And I still <laughs> when, Well, it's a list. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's a list that exists. Yeah, it didn't include... Yeah, there there's some prices. notable... Yeah, yeah. You're right, but still... Still, he won a championship here, you know, and he's always in contention with his teams. Um, but what was I? What was I trying to say? Um, More about Missoula. Uh, Smart's comments about Missoula. Well, but what I what I want to say is Missoula. Out of all the coaches in the league, um, he's he's the only guy in contention in a long time that didn't work his way up, that didn't work hard and put in the years and really earn the opportunity um, through no fault of his own. You know, he was in the right place at the right time and he was there by way of his merits, but the earth shook building crumbled. It was an emergency and they went to him. They offered it to him and he's now the head coach with very little background. And so there's, there's a, I think there's a question of equity you know, like um, you did not in the in the historical way, you did not earn this job. You did not earn this uh, chance to be in contention. You did not work his way up. I mean, there's all these assistant coaches around the NBA that wait for years and years and work hard and with the hope of 
just getting with a lottery team, a terrible team, knowing that they're going to get fired in two and a half years. This guy took the the side door and he went in, and now he's been making the most of it. They've had a great regular season. They've been in trouble, and he made the right adjustment, put Rob Williams in. So he's he's doing good things. But nonetheless, I I just think there's there's uh, there should be a sense of accountability and a sense that it's just not as easy as you're making it look right now. It just isn't. And, um, you know, they should just, if he gets, if he gets criticized, it's a small price to pay, you know, for, for all the good fortune that he's benefiting from. So I, I just think he's in a great position. He's done really well with it. But when Marcus Smart says that it's rightly so that he gets criticized, Marcus is right. He he should be criticized when the criticism is due. Yeah, I, I, it just depends on on you know where do we draw the line? You know, I think you know last I think game four and game five it got a little weird. You know, I think the criticism got weird because it was it was this one thing that people have been complaining about all year. It's this lack of focus and maybe not focus, but like lack of of just care it feels like at times like Boston sometimes plays to the, like it's like oh we got one more left like don't worry like it's not surprising to me they put that that last night game six was their best defensive effort like of the year it is not surprising because it's like yeah we all know what this team is capable of when when the backs are up against the wall we just we as fans in in media alike I guess I'll throw in there too like we would just hope that Boston would just play like this every time but you know, I, I, maybe there's something that they're just not telling us about, you know, we're saving this for when we really need it so that we can serve energy. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've listened to Simmons and Russillo talk about how LeBron uses energy as a year 20 player and how he really, like, he really picks and chooses exactly when he wants to attack and, and all that stuff. I don't think Boston does anything like that, but there's, there's just a, some sort of like lack of winning mentality sometimes that drives people crazy. And, and, you know, after game four, Everybody's trying to figure out, okay, you know, it's Tatum's fault for not going early enough. Oh, no, it's it's Brown's fault for doubling off the strong side corner. No, it's Smart's fault because he shot the shot. And we're all sitting here trying to figure out who's to blame, and it's really a collective effort. Like, you win as a team and you lose as a team. And I think oftentimes – It's too easy. Well, it is sometimes that easy, but sometimes it's not. You know, I think I think that you can – blame certain guys more in other situations, but like every single play matters in the playoffs. Like every, like that, that game four loss shows that every single possession in a game matters because, you know, when you lose by one point, you could, you could point to any, Oh, that turnover there is what cost them. This missed uh, uh, rotation here cost them. And you can do that all the time. And over a course of, you know, 48 minutes, you're going to come up with a different guy for every flaw. And then again, I'll collectively word all together. I don't think it's a problem that smart said that just because again, he's been the longest natured, you know, Southern on the team. He's been there forever. He's kind of the guy that like we as fans look to as the, like the heart and soul of the team. People don't like the fact that Jason Tatum, you know, is more on the softer side. People don't like the fact that uh, uh, Al Horford, who is the oldest guy on the team doesn't, you know, talk as much, but although he was talking last night in the huddle and people found a problem with that. Um, I think Joe has done a pretty good job with the expectations of this team. Like, again, as, as Ian, as you said, normally when you are an assistant coach and you work your way up the ranks, like there's nothing expected of you that first season. Like you're just getting your feet wet. You have this probably garbage roster of, of you know, guys just chucking to get stats and, and trying to get onto another contract somewhere if they're a veteran or, you know, a rookie making their, their green mistakes. Joe has a t- has inherited a team of legitimate expectations of winning a title, and he's unfortunately experiencing some of the pressure that goes along with that at at the at the at its highest point. So, you know, if if people have problems, smart calling him out for saying yeah that adjustment was totally necessary, and you know we need Joe to to kind of be on board here. I don't have any problem with that. I don't, Adam. Do you? No, I no, I I was. When I heard it before he continued on, I think this is probably the problem. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of using that as as a, a clickbaity line and and maybe only playing parts of the clip on the radio or TV. I have no idea. Like I said, I haven't watched or listened, but I could see that happening. Obviously, because it's it's a jarring remark from a player about his coach in the middle of the playoffs to 
you know, say that, like, if he just stopped with, you know, he, he's been whatever, heavily scrutinized or whatever the exact terminology was and not said the rightfully so, you know, the, it, it's two different things. I don't have a problem with it. I also liked it, like Ian said, because uh, I, I just think, for me, it's bigger than the comment. It's more about how Joe takes it. And I think Joe Missoula seems like the type of person that would say, yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm learning. I'm trying to figure all this out. I hold you accountable. You hold me accountable. We're all in this together. So I, I don't think, I, I think there's an element of sort of kumbaya with it all. I, I, going back to what Evan was talking about, though, in terms of kind of the the blame pie, and I don't want to focus specifically on who's to blame, who's not to blame. Hopefully they just get through this freaking thing and move to the conference finals, and we can t- all take a deep breath, breath and, and not deal with backs against the wall, brink of elimination type talk. Jason Tatum, I I don't know, Ian, what's going on. I, I don't know what's going on. I never <laughs> this this show is 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 sponsored by a sports book, a gambling company. I don't know what the odds would have been on Jason Tatum in three consecutive games in the postseason, you know, to to start 0 for 6, 0 for 8, 0 for 11. I it was the first time in his career in game six he had ever gone an entire first half without a made field goal. And then the third quarter still just it wasn't until that three-pointer in the fourth where things he finally just had to see one go in and confidence and it opened things up and and that's great. And he came on late and still finished with 19 points. I'm not gonna say he had a flat out bad game because he had played strong defense. He did a lot of the little things. He rebounded really well in the first half, block shots. Uh, he had the bulk of his assist then. He moved the ball when uh, early, you know, well in in the early stages of the game. He did have some turnovers, but uh, they weren't all horrendous. You know, some of turnovers are bad luck on occasion. The team in general, way too many turnovers, had almost 20. I don't understand, though, why Tatum, it just sort of feels like, Ian, that he's in some ways abandoned his game. You know, what makes him so successful, either being reliant on a three with a guy in his face or driving to the basket, but looking for contact to the point where it totally throws off what he's trying to do and puts up these, you know, haphazard, ugly type, you know, layup looking attempts that that just miss wildly as opposed to going strong to the basket not worrying about who was around him taking mid-range jumpers which I realize you know the NBA now hates the mid-range jumper but he's really really freaking good at it I I just don't know why I, I know he's a confident guy and that's good humbly Clearly. one of the best players in the world as he said uh, and yeah. he is I don't understand why he isn't we're not seeing the Jason Tatum that we're used to. And it's making people think back to the finals last year against the Warriors and all, you know, the, the credit, he's not, he's not clutch. He's not a big game performer. He's not a superstar in the postseason. He's a fraud superstar. He should be traded. You know how social media works. It, it goes to the nth degree, but every time I think we're going to get a huge game out of Tatum, like I did in game six. And now I expect in game seven, it was a lot of, well, where the hell is he? You know, um, people my age the modern mba is just confounding because the the old the old idea of your shot isn't falling so go inside get to the foul line it just doesn't seem to apply to the current mba they just keep shooting threes when they aren't making them and it, it just makes no sense to me and it's not just jason tatum it's the whole league it was james harden years ago at houston when they were going one for 28 from the three-point line or whatever, and they just kept shooting them. And if it's not falling, go inside and and see the ball go through the basket like people talk about and then go back out there after you've, after you've seen it, after you have some success. But don't don't just let the game go away, you know? And, and then there's this also this question with Tatum, when you watch him uh, um, last year at this time, he was everything for the Celtics. He he was their scorer, but he was also their playmaker. He was bringing the ball up, and he was directing the traffic, and he was making the decision: is he going to shoot or is he going to share it? He was like an oversized point guard at times, and he seemed to have gotten away from that a little bit. And last night, I don't know if it was because his shot wasn't falling, but he seemed to be doing more of that. He seemed, and he was doing a really good job of it. And they were responding; they were scoring around him as he did it. I just see a guy that has been through a lot of changes in the last year. Um, 
between Udoka last year, asking him to be that playmaker, asking him to be that decision maker. And, and he grew into that role before he got tired in the finals uh, to having a new coach who changes the emphasis this year and their defense isn't as strong now, but um, they're, they're more prolific than ever at the other end. And I don't know. I, I, I just think he's, if they get to the finals and they win the championship, then he's going to know who he is after that. LeBron seemed to go through the same kind of thing. What kind of a player are you? Are you a triple-double guy or are you a guy that does it effectively? And we all know the struggles he went through on his way to finding out. But the LeBron that we see today, the guy that directs traffic and organizes his team and turns nobodies into somebodies, um, he did a lot of that back then with nobody's turning into somebodies. But the guy that we see today, that was not who he was a dozen years ago. He was where Jason Tatum is now. He, he had all this talent and he had all these abilities to do different things. But when do you do them? When do you do this? When do you do that? And when you can do a lot of different things, when you have a lot of different tools, how do you choose which tool at which time? When does it make sense? And it was almost like with LeBron, it was like watching trial and error as he tried to figure it out. And that's a little bit like that with Tatum too. He's just so talented. He can do so many things. And when does he do, when does he choose to do this? When does he choose to do that? Um, and so I, I just, I just see a guy, I know he's been in the league a long time, but age wise, still not that old. So he's got a lot of great years ahead of him. But I, I just think when he does win a championship, then he's going to know, he's going to know who he is. And we're sort of watching this, ongoing development it's just been fascinating to watch because they keep getting into contention with him they keep going far in the playoffs and that puts him so far ahead of so many of the other young players in the league uh it gives him such an advantage he's further along in figuring out who he is than all these other young players are and it's just it's been really cool to watch you just hope for his sake it turns into something he gets to cross the finish line and then he can say okay now I know what works. This is me. I hate that. So all that said, I hate that. This is me. This is me thing. I wish I hadn't said it. <laughs> all that said, though, I, well, I think there's truth in that, though. I mean, he he yeah. even said he was talking to himself during the game, sort of, you know, pumping himself up, like you're one of the best players in the world. But and and look, we've all been in situations. I can't compare, you know, any any situation I've been into, you Pretty know, trying to perform in front of millions of millions of people. But we've all been in situations in our lives where you know you get. You know, you're trying to do something that normally you can do well and it's it's not working for you or you're insecure or whatever. And you have to kind of give yourself that internal pep talk. Again, he has to do it on a much greater, much bigger stage than the average person. But he's human. Right. So what do we expect from him in game seven now when, you know, as Jalen Brown has issued the warning. So he's going to have the home crowd behind him. Celtics are are comfortably favored to win this game. We've all been saying all year long, all series long, they're the better team. You know, the as we spent the bulk of our show a couple of days ago with Abby Chin saying, very simply, not to oversimplify it, but very simply, your best players need to be your best players. And the Celtics, I truly believe, will not have a problem. If, if Jason Tatum had even had a, a representative performance the first three quarters of that game yesterday, it was over. It wouldn't have even been tight. So in game seven... I think there are a lot of people out there that are just expecting this is the fireworks game. This is the prove it game. This is the shut everybody up game. This is Jason Tatum dropping 40 in a clincher at home against the Sixers. What do you see happening? I mean, I don't know if he's going to score 40, but I think he's going to be really, really solid. And all the other things he was doing um, in game six, besides not scoring, you know, the defense and the rebounding and the playmaking uh, the hustle plays, all that stuff, I think you're going to see that. And that's going to be huge for the team. That's going to, that's how you set an example, right? That's how you show leadership under this kind of pressure with all this noise. Uh, it's going to be so loud in that arena. They're going to so want to win this game. Uh, you know, he does have a rookie coach over there. Jason Tatum, has, for as, as young as he is, he has way more experience in this kind of situation than this coach. So it starts with him, and I think 
you're going to see him do that and do all those other things. And um, it's one of those things, if he's doing it, I should be doing it. And then he's not going to start. He's not going to be one for, he's not going to continue this one for 28 over three games kind of start. It's just not, he's not going to do that. Um, he, I think he sort of cleansed himself. And look, what do I know? But I, I think he kind of cleansed himself of it. Well, that's, um, that's not, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, so, I would have said the exact same thing coming out of the second half of game five. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, like I'm not saying your opinion's wrong. I agree with your opinion. It's just yeah. every time you think you know something, you no, know the it, I agree. we see whatever we see. So here, here's the question then, Ev. How do we bet it? Now, before we pivot, real quick, I do want to hmm. get Ian's thoughts on something that we have debated on this show uh, countless amount of times. Kaufman, you and Sean Devaney actually titled your podcast this the last time you guys chatted, and it has to revolve around mental toughness because. I have argued that despite the fact that people want to cream this team for mental toughness, I happen to think this team's kind of mentally tough because they've been through some stuff, you know, and throughout this run with these players. I mean, uh, game six in Milwaukee, game seven in Boston last year, game seven on the road in Miami last year. Like, this team has been through some things. And I thought, Ian, last night, game six, when you have the night that Jason Tatum's having and then proceed to not only score uh, the last, what, 16-ish points for your team, I think, was the number. Uh, they have it all come with about four minutes to go in the, the game. Uh, but to shake off that entire stretch of rust and bury the most four important shots in a game at the end of the game on the road in an elimination game against Philadelphia, like I think that shows a little mental toughness on the back of Jason Tatum. Am I wrong for this? No, it's I completely agree. And what Joe Mazzulla said last night, um, when you're missing all those shots – the hard thing isn't to keep shooting. The hard thing is to play the other end, keep playing defense and do all the other things and not let it stop you. Because how many times do you see around the NBA teams shoot badly and they just kind of give up? They lose interest. They get discouraged. The Sixers did that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they have been through a lot of these games. You know, going back to when LeBron was with Cleveland, they've been through – um, elimination games deep in the playoffs. Um, so I, I do think they have a lot of mental toughness that they have this ability to play well under this kind of pressure. Their issue isn't mental toughness. To me, it's sort of a, a discipline or a focus um, that's let them down, whether it's losing that game against Atlanta or losing game five at home to Philly and and not showing up for it. That's the problem. And that's not mental toughness. That's, I just, I just think it's some sort of discipline and, and just being, being focused in on it and, and doing your work early kind of, you know, just getting it done instead of laying it wait. Not I'm a, I'm the world's greatest procrastinator and I totally identify with this team. Same. Uh, Ian, I'm, I am by no means cocky about Game Seven, uh, especially with what we've seen in the series. Yeah. Anything could happen, you know. I, right. I, I, I do believe uh, that the Celtics are the better team, and I, I do believe there's a, a home court advantage element. And I do believe that that Boston is a very difficult place to play when the fans are into it, and hopefully they will be, uh, you know, as they typically are. But especially after what Jalen Brown said, kind of calling out fans and saying, like, you, you know, you hold us accountable, I'm gonna hold you accountable. Game was. You know, kind of quiet back there. And in, in last time we were home, I, I I think to quote Marcus Smart, rightfully so, because the seeds were <laughs> never in that one. But yeah. uh, you know, hopefully that won't be the story in Game Seven. People will rise to the occasion. Now, all of that said, what does make me feel good, what does give me some level of confidence going into this one, is not only talent versus talent and seeding, seed, you know, all of that. Like we we feel like we know who the Boston Celtics are, more or less. What makes me feel good is the experience element of things, you know, having been through 
uh, many of these players, not this team specifically, and certainly not the head coach, but many of these players, you talked about deep playoff runs. They've been through the ringer. They've played game sevens. They've been not in exactly the same situation, but Evan mentioned the Milwaukee series last year, having to go there, win a game six, come home, win a game seven. You know, some of these players, some of their best players, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, and so on, they have been through similar situations. But on top of that, you have a Sixers team on the other side that, I do kind of question, you know, their mental fragility, if you will. I I think that in many ways, all the pressure right now is on Philadelphia coming back to Boston after losing that game six. And and you could hear some of that start to creep out in the fact that, you know, Joel Embiid postgame calling out his teammates, not giving him the ball enough late, you know, the, the great teammate that he is. And we've talked a lot about that in the history of this show or just, you know, the playoff failure after playoff failure and, and you know, not getting out of the second round and be not going to a conference finals. How many three, oh, three, one, three, two series has Doc Rivers blown in his career? He, not unlike many coaches, has never won a road game seven in his coaching career. So I, I, I just think that there's, there are facets of this going into game seven that should make Celtics fans feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as far as pressure, it's sort of like whoever, whoever starts poorly, that's the team that's going to feel the pressure in the first quarter. That's you're going to have a chance to, to bring that. If you, if you play well to start the team that's being victimized by you, they're the ones that are going to feel the pressure. Um, But I just, I look, I look at this as an opportunity and a curse for James Harden, who um, has had several terrific games in this series, um, has been the key guy when they won. Um, and But that is not a defining element of his career. He's known for playing terribly when it matters in the playoffs. So which guy is going to show up? And the context for that, is that we've been hearing since January that he's heading back to Houston in a few weeks, you know, like I just don't know how that helps create uh, a positive environment going into a big game like this, knowing that um, this guy you're counting on, first of all, has this history of not showing up in these games. And secondly, well, he's leaving anyway, you know, it's, um, it's a reality of the marketplace. It's how the NBA works, but I just think the timing stinks for him. And so he, he has it all in his hand. He has a chance to go out there. If he can, if he somehow puts up another 40 point game, he gets the last laugh. He gets to redefine himself. He, cause whoever wins this game tomorrow is going to go to the NBA finals, you know? Um, so I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I just think that the Celtics have enough positive feedback. They know what to expect, and they know that they've come through in these situations in the past, whereas um, Philadelphia just doesn't. They they may have an idea of what to expect, but they don't have that positive feedback of knowing that if they do this and this and this or they go in with this mindset, it's all going to work out. That that kind of confidence, that this faith in yourself, that – look, just trust it and it's going to work out. They they don't have it and the Celtics have it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is a – the pressure I think is – I think as Ian alluded to, like whoever gets out to a hot start, their team's going to feel that pressure. I, I think there's – Boston has a ton of pressure on it. I think given the way, as we've all talked about, Ian, most recently, the way this bracket is set up for them. I mean, Milwaukee got bounced in the first round. What a gift that is, right? You have, I think, a lot of great teams playing out West right now. I mean, I love watching Denver. They're an amazing team. Um, you know, Golden State, with their history, can't count them out until they're dead. You know, Lakers and LeBron, kind of the similar deal here. Like, you can't count LeBron out until he's not in the playoffs anymore. Um, and, and one of those two teams is going to play Denver, and Denver is going to take care of another strong team. So, like again, it kind of has fallen in place for the Celtics here. I think if – Really, we're to the NBA Finals. It'd be in a tremendous story. I'm not saying it's not, but I think the story would be Boston really blew an opportunity. Not Philly won, you know, won the Eastern Conference semifinals and had a great path to the finals. This will be more about Boston blowing a golden opportunity after last year 
going through a really tough schedule. I mean, you look at the Nets mm-hmm. last year, swept them in four games. I know they weren't a terrific opponent in terms of sweeping them, but, I mean, they had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and game one was a classic. Uh, had mm-hmm. to go on the road, beat Giannis in a game six, then win game seven, then game seven. Like, Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant, Giannis, uh, Drew Holiday, Kyrie Irving, to run through that gauntlet to get to the finals was impressive. I mean, I think we talked about it last year, Kaufman, about how we thought, you know, Boston playing the Nets in the first round was, like, going to be sneaky tough. And mm-hmm. uh, people were avoiding that matchup because they didn't want to play the Nets. And, yeah, yeah, Boston, you know, won a couple of games at the end of the year, got that that three seed, and then had to go on the road the whole rest of the way. Like, that wasn't easy. This yeah. time, Boston has home court the entire time they're alive, things to Milwaukee losing. And they're going to blow this opportunity. Like, I, that's the thing to me, whether, you know, again, every team's going to feel pressure. But if Philly wins, it's not going to be about Philly winning the, the series. And, look, Philly's played great. I talked a lot of smack about Philadelphia in a lot of podcasts this year, and I've eaten my words. So shout out to all the Philly fans in the comments section of the previous videos giving us a lot of flack. Uh, I've been thoroughly impressed with their defense. I, I've been really impressed with the way Philadelphia has been able to guard Boston throughout the entire series. Game six, there was so many frustrating steals by Philadelphia that reminded me of Miami and Golden State last year, where they would just swipe at the ball as the Celtics come into the lane, and then there's a fast break the other way. It drove me nuts last night. Uh, I had nightmares again, but it won't be about Philadelphia. The national media, the Colin Cowherds of the world, the first takes of the world, the Nick Wrights of the world – all, all of that's going to be Boston blew this and they, they, and as we can attest to, like once you have, like Simmons is already doing this, had the Celtics missed their window thing with a 24 to 25 year old that I can't quite figure out. But, you know, these, these runs in basketball and in sports, they don't last as long as we hope they will. And Boston, after having a golden opportunity last year, they were in the finals. They were, they could have been up 3 1. They could have beaten the Warriors. This was, again, set up for them, and it it could just be – and it's a shame, Ian, right? Like how an entire season of learning for Joe Missoula and learning for these guys and how to play together and Tatum adapting to a new person and, and Jalen Brown elevating – like all that will be all for naught. It will be a whole ginormously blown opportunity for the Celtics if they lose Sunday, Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you know, after after they won game five, I was thinking to myself, and this is just proof that you just don't know what's going to happen, especially with the NBA now. Um, but I just thought this was Philly's year now. They had the MVP. James Harden's finally showing up in the playoffs. You know, Philadelphia had to work really hard through the second half of the regular season to, to move up in the standings. Um, the defense they were playing for them to come in to Boston in game five and just take command. It just, it just looked to me like, you know, there was a narrative here and it's their year. It's just, it's just his Joel Embiid had had a lot of bad times in the playoffs and now it was, this was his year. And then the very next game, it all changes again. Um, One thing about, you're so right, Evan, about how, these windows of opportunity are just so short in the NBA. Now you just, you put together a young team and you say, man, this team could be great for a lot of years, but it never, except for the warriors, it hardly ever works out. Um, It's just really hard to keep it together, to keep it going. Um, I think part of it is the team has to win championships to keep it going. The one thing that you can take away maybe from Jason Tatum's really bad start and his uh, inspiring finish is that he didn't play like a young player. He played like an older guy who said, oh, man, going in the fourth quarter, I may not get this opportunity again. That's really what he looked like when he was making those shots. It was like, I have to make this stand now. There's no tomorrow. I have to do it right now. I mean, he looked like a 32-year-old player, like saying, I got to do this now. I can't, I can't let it, I can't think about next year there is no next year and and for young players to have that kind of mindset is really that's like the secret mix because you have all this talent you still have the young legs but you got the the old head the wise head that's telling you don't blow this don't waste this and 
for him to do what he did in the fourth quarter after that start, that's how many young players in this league would ever do that? It shows that he's not really a young player anymore. He's kind of turned the corner that way. Well, look at Devin Booker, right? Devin Booker. And I'm not, I think Devin Booker's amazing. I'm the, yeah. That's flat out. But Devin Booker in a do or die game, game last night wasn't great. And it wasn't. Yep. And, and that's. I'm, I'm way more interested in the Booker fallout from that. I mean, the uh, he's getting the, not to cut you off, but obviously he has the dud of a game. They get totally embarrassed at home. Durant wasn't particularly good either, but Booker, who had been so, so good, like best player in the world for weeks, total no-show, and then blows off the media, doesn't talk to them post-game. And apparently, I just saw this on Twitter, he, uh, he blew off the media for exit interviews again today. So this, I mean, talk, like if, if you're gonna, I mean, can you fathom what, even if you want to say he's not the best player on the team, that's Durant. Can you fathom what we, we would be saying about Jalen Brown right now if he did that? You know, on on the wake of a playoff yeah. exit, and then and and then at the end of the year, like just goes home, like takes his ball and goes home, so to speak. That you know doesn't talk. To, I mean, bad bad look. Especially the the way they their season has ended the last two years, losing by fifty or whatever last year. Yeah, losing by thirty or whatever this year. I mean talk about not showing up and so yeah what 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 tatum did he looked like he might have been on that track and he he turned the ship around he said no i'm not doing this i'm not he was about to go over the the cliff and he said no 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 he didn't he didn't do the film and louise that that booker did he he turned it around and Vin Diesel he, instead he just hugged the, the line as he worked the corner yeah 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 <laughs> so i yeah that's it Comparing them to Booker, that's a great uh, source of perspective right there. I'm not trying to – and I love Devin Booker. Like, I'm, I'm – Sure. The guy is all – he is incredible. And he was incredible for the entire playoffs until last night. Mm-hmm. And then last night happens, and it's like, oh, yeah, look, Booker, you were tremendous. But in the game that really mattered, where were you? And that's yep. and that's the, the mental toughness thing with Tatum that I, I just want to make sure that people understand, like – I the, the people d- discount the mental toughness of this team. Like it, you have to be incredibly mentally tough to have the night that Tatum had shooting the basketball and then take the three. It was eighty three, eighty one. It was that weird. Oh, yep. we're having Maxi shoot the free throws now, and it, cause, and then we're going to redo this play, which I've never seen in my right. life. Ian, I know you've been watching basketball longer than I have. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. No, no. So to have that the the you know for whatever to go. 83-81, and he hits the toughest one of the four shots that he hit was the one in Embiid's face in the corner with not a lot of space and hits that one. And then once he hit the second one, you, you kind of knew, like, uh-oh. Oh, did he find it real quick? And then and then just to, to carry it the next shot after that, I mean, that just takes supreme confidence in yourself. And the one thing that I noted at the end, there was a great moment for all the people, and I've been trying to – champion this bandwagon for a long time that Jalen and Jason actually like each other. They like playing together. And like, this is a, a core that I think is going to stay together for a while. There was a great moment last night after the game where Jalen and Jason just hugged at like three quarters court or wherever. And I only saw Jalen's face from the ESPN angle. And Jalen has this ginormous million dollar smile on his face. Mm. And you can tell how happy he was for Tatum in that moment that Tatum had had this awful game and was able to come through at the end because everybody had been encouraging him for the entire game. And if you get the flip side, because I think someone of Celtic social media team on the flip side got Tatum's face and Tatum just kept saying to Brown, I told you, I got you. I got you. I got you. I told you the whole time. I got you. There is some, tr- some real trust there with this team that, that, that I think only is coming out now. When the real, when the, when the, their backs against the wall and their chips are all in the center of the table, like there's a, a, a real trust here they could only get from a team that's been in so much stuff as this team. Tatum to pull out what he did last night again, uh, you know, right before Devin Booker no shows was was a huge sign to me of look, man. I know he might not be have he might not have the greatest numbers right now, but at when when everything is at their worst. And Devin Booker had all-time playoffs. I mean, I think he was what? He was 
Jordan-esque numbers, right? Like we're talking, you know, early 90s, late 80s Jordan-type numbers here. So you're talking about the tippity-tippity-top of peak performance of a player. When your backup is up against the wall, and as great as Devin Booker's numbers are, I would still take zero over Devin Booker every day of the week. Every day at Kaufman. Oh, especially based on what we saw last night. Yeah. Yeah. No, you would have to. Absolutely. Last thing for me, Ian, before we uh, wrap this up, and and that is, uh, let's go full circle. Game seven expectations, back to Joe Missoula. What I something I just found, I didn't even necessarily notice it in real time in watching the game, but uh, something I was really surprised by after the fact is that uh, obviously the game was really tight, really throughout. Celtics got off to a, a big lead uh, at a couple of different points, but more or less it was a tight game throughout. Missoula only went seven deep. He only went seven deep in this game, and uh, with Derek White didn't even play 20 minutes. He played 19. Everybody else was, you know, at, at least 28, and that was Rob Williams. And then you have everyone else into the 30s or 40s. So uh, I guess I'm I'm not as shocked by the seven guys, obviously, but, um, you know, when I see that, it's like, man, I mean, there I, I still feel like there's, there's a place in this series for Grant Williams. You know, I, I think he's done – a pretty good job overall on Joel Embiid when he's had some opportunities, but you know, and, and he's a better defensive player, certainly than an offensive player. He was a big part of that run to the finals last year. Um, But he just isn't, I don't think he's in the doghouse. I think, you know, Missoula just, I'm, I'm rolling with my top seven and, and that's that. Do you expect that, you know, barring some sort of blowout empty the bench type situation, uh on, on either side for that matter, do you expect Missoula to stay just as tight in game seven? Yeah, because um, so if Rob Williams played 29 minutes in this game, which is mm. sort of his coming out game, I mean, why not play him 30, 35 minutes in this game, which means even fewer minutes for somebody coming off the bench. Um, but I think anybody that's been watching the team would say, yes, please. Mm. You know, the, let's let's see more and more of Rob Williams. Let's see him playing with Al Horford, especially against this team. Yep. Um Let's let's deny the ball to uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, Rob Williams is the longest, uh, most athletic free safety in the league this year, and you know I I just think that that is the revelation. What Tatum did, we sort of knew he could do, right? We I mean, you kept watching them shoot. You kept watching them play, saying to yourself, keep shooting. His teammates were saying that, and I think a lot of fans were saying keep shooting too because you just had a feeling he he, had, he could do this. He could make this work. It's, it's Rob Williams having disappeared from the rotation in a way, you know, having played such a minor role. And now all of a sudden getting this major starting role and making the most of it and changing everything instantly. I mean, that is the revelation. And that's what I think should give fans confidence, not only in the Celtics, but in the coach to recognize what was needed and to go with it before it was too late. And man, if, if this is the rotation going forward um, and they're showing signs of last year's defense to go with this year's offense. And it's, and the fact that, that there's a clear path for them to get to the finals. Um, it, it all, it all sounds really good. I think. I can't think of a better way to end the show. Ev. Uh, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, yeah. We got? Uh, I'll leave with this because uh, look, um, you know, I don't know your basketball watching schedule at this point. Um, but I know Coffin and I have been dug in since preseason and regular season. It's a lot of watching basketball. I'll throw this yeah. to both of you. Uh, I don't enjoy watching basketball with real stakes. It's not fun. It's not great. It's not ideal. I am a mess the entire game. Uh, I don't like that every shot could, uh, end my, uh, basketball viewing for the, the next week or so. Like I, like there was a tweet out there. It was a perfect tweet. It was exactly how I felt. Somebody, I forget who it was. Uh, some Celtic Twitter follow that I follow was like, oh, I, I love that the Celtics won because now I get to watch Denver play. Because if the Seas had lost that game, I'm not watching basketball. I want nothing to do with basketball for like a week, 10 days, yeah. weeks. Maybe for the rest of the playoffs, I'm out. But because Boston won the game, I could then watch Denver 
win, uh, who I love watching play, by the way. Denver, if you haven't watched them play yet, folks, like just watch them. They are a little nervous yeah. about Denver if I were a Seas fan. They should be. Get, they, are, they are a machine. And, although, also, although in saying that, and I agree with everything you just said, if the Nuggets are in the NBA Finals, as I think a lot of people expect they will be, how bad are those ratings going to be? Don't care. Don't the Denver Nuggets are I, no great for basketball fans, but the you know like the casual fan, like the Denver Nuggets. Well, are, then you know what, cash fans get on board is Jokic is like the best passing big man uh, that I maybe have ever seen. Now I'm 33 years old, so let's factor that into play here. Um, I don't know if I've seen anybody with the vision at that height that I've like. Because LeBron for me is probably the, one of the best pure passers I've ever seen. Jokic is not far behind, if not right next to him. He is, he sees the game at a very unusual, very unusual way more than anybody else sees the game. And, uh, if you get the opportunity to watch this team, folks, watch Denver play. They are spectacular, but I don't like watching. Like I have been able to, uh, not watch basketball. I've been to watch basketball with no stakes at all whatsoever throughout the entire season. Like it's this thing that like the Patriots at one point, if you're a Patriots fan, the Patriots at one point, if you were a fan of the team, like the season didn't start until the playoffs start because you were going to make the playoffs and most likely probably going to make the AFC championship game. So like the, the season doesn't really start. Yeah, it's a formality. Yeah, yeah, it's a formality. You don't really start until the AFC championship game. That's when the season starts. And then you get two games to like be a real fan. I just How arrogant remember. were we? <laughs> but but for, for good reason, though. <laughs> Brady's – Brady's uh, making a Super Bowl every two years. It's remarkable. It's the, one of the yeah. greatest winners in the history of sports. I hear you. I hear you. But, but my point is, I do not enjoy watching basketball with stakes because there are so many possessions in a game, and there are so many ways a game can, can spiral out of control. And I don't like that my entire being as a person hangs on every single possession of a basketball game when it's really tight. It's just a lot. It's a lot to process. Well, it, 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 stro- it. it strongly impacts my mood for sure. But here's Incredibly. the thing. You're a fan. I'm a fan. A lot of people listening are fans. You know, Ian, as, as a, I don't want to speak for you, so tell me if I'm wrong about this, but, uh, you know, people in your position, like real, true you know, journalists and reporters and, and people that have made a, a, a living covering the league, you know, you're, you're a fan of basketball, you know, but you're, you know, you're, you're not sort of emotionally tied or devoted to one team versus another. Maybe that's evolved, uh, you know, as, as you've, you know, gotten into some other stages of, of, of your career in life, maybe you're, you're more of a, a, a fanboy now like the rest of us, but I doubt it. I, I'm guessing that you can turn off a game at the end, no matter which way it goes and, and you'll still sleep at night. Yeah, no, I'm definitely like that. I don't, um, you know, if you've been doing what I, what I've done for a long time, you end up rooting for people, but not teams so much. Like there, mm-hmm. there are people that you like or that you hit it off with or whatever, but you don't, you don't root for teams. Um, now I'm surrounded by that though in my house. My <laughs> wife had season tickets to Larry Bird's years, ah. and she's one of these people that if things are going bad, she thinks it's because she's watching, so she leaves the room and thinks it's going to change. And I always try Love to that. tell her, you know, There's whatever you're seeing. I'm, I'm drinking yeah. bourbon right now for a reason because the last time we had a Game Seven pod against the Miami Heat. Uh, I, I, Hoffman's buddy, Seth, who's on this show frequently, and I just did a solo podcast because I think maybe you were on vacation, Kaufman. Is that was that? I was, yeah, I was, I was at Disney. So what I did was in order to get through this episode of like, well, we got to deal with Jimmy Butler in a game seven. This is not going to be fun. I poured myself a glass of, uh, either scotch or bourbon and just had that to sip on the entire time. So as a superstitious thing, folks, uh, I did pour myself a glass of spectacular bourbon and uh, have been sipping on it the entire show because I am that person, Ian. I am the person if it's like I had a choice last night to watch the game or not. And while I was not watching the game was the first half of the game, the Seas had a great lead. And then I turned the game on and that lead is gone. So I had a real stressful moment last night of trying to figure out if I should leave the room, if I should shut the laptop, should I turn the TV off, should I go for a walk? I don't know. It was was a lot. It was a lot. Like I get it. I'll I'll double down. So this shirt, I mean, for anyone watching the video versus the audio, the shirt that I'm wearing right here, 
which uh, I, I'll, it, it has Tatum, Smart, and Brown on it. it. says, like, Boston Triple Threat, I think. This shirt that I'm wearing, hadn't worn it all series. I wore it during Game 6. They won. I'm wearing it again right now for the pod. I'll wear it for Game 7. You know, we there there are superstitions so stupid. that we... So and, and, and I will I will readily admit it is like psychologically I know it has no impact. There's no like cosmic power in the universe that this shirt, you know, this this laundry is going to lead to to Boston success. But we do what works for us, right? You know, we 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 try and pl- feel like we're playing our part. We're doing our we're playing our role yeah, however can. we can. Well, first of all, I'll say you know. You can go ahead and say you're drinking because of superstition, Evan, but like the rest of us. <laughs> so you actually have a problem. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. It's superstition. Talk to me about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so many people in sports are superstitious. One of the first times uh, I went down to see Doc Rivers when he was coaching Orlando, I was with Sports Illustrated and, um, uh, the PR guy came up to me after the game and said, you know, we lost this game, you know, Doc's going to ask you to not come back. And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I happened to be walking out of the arena and he sees me, he comes walking up with me. He goes, when you're heading home, I said, tomorrow, he said, good. Because <laughs> he's superstitious. I was there when they lost. Yeah. I keep telling my wife, I keep telling my wife that, you know, you think you by sitting in a certain position on the couch, that you made a difference on that play, but that play happened like 14 seconds before you saw it because that's how long <laughs> yeah. it takes to go through all the different filters and everything. You know, it's not, True. you're really not having this, this effect, but I, I just live in a sports crazed house and I'm the one that's around sports all the time. And I don't have this passion the way they do. My wife has three cardboard cutouts, life size of Tom Brady. And when Tom <laughs> Brady Whenever there was a Patriots game, she would put the life-size cutout of Tom Brady on their front porch. <laughs> and I remember Tom Thibodeau was in town in between jobs at the Celtics shoot-around. And he started talking about Tom Brady. And I said, don't talk to me about Tom Brady. And I started telling him about my wife. And she puts the cardboard cutouts on our front porch. And I say to her, don't you know how that makes me look? Don't you know yeah. what I do for a living? People walk by the house and say, oh, the Sports Illustrated guy, he must really love Tom Brady. <laughs> and, you know, that's when I heard Thibodeau has like a real, he has a real smoker's laugh. Like he was, <laughs> he really thought that was funny. Oh. But anyway, so yeah, I, I don't. You got tips to laugh. That's incredible. You should definitely yeah. put that in your Twitter bio. Yeah. He was in between jobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Since he got back to work, there was no more laughing. No way. All right. Well, by, I hope uh, by, the Celtics. By the way, yeah. By the way, let me just say, Jokic is Bill Walton of the '77 Trailblazers. That's that's what he is. It's all these guys running half circles around them, and out of the corner of his eye, he just flicks passes to him. That's it's Bill. Bill Walton is he's the first one since Bill Walton that I've seen play this way. And that's the now thing. Now I got to see him in a tie dye shirt. The Jalen double team on Embiid in Game Five. Or game four, game four. Doc, not Doc. Excuse me. Popovich talked about defending Jokic and how you have to send help at Jokic from a place he doesn't see, because if he yeah. sees you coming, you're cooked. So the only support of Jalen Brown crashing from the strong side shooting corner, the double up and beat, is because he didn't see it coming, and. That was the only saving grace of that play where I'll be like, you know, if Jalen saw Embiid was not paying attention to him and decided to freelance for a second, I think Popovich would also somewhat agree with what he did. Now, did we love it? No. Did it cost him the game? Yeah. But the the, the reasoning behind it I thought was sound. And it's, I always think of Jokic when it comes to double and bigs like that. And Jokic is such a different animal than Embiid. He is – again, I, I – I implore all of you that listen to this podcast and watch this on YouTube. You got to watch Denver because it's like for someone that loves basketball, you're you're not going to find a more joyful player than than the Nikola Jokic. It's not possible because he plays the yeah. game at a level that you don't see and especially at that size. You definitely don't see it. So enjoy it while you got it. Well, I, uh, I I only hope people are out there listening at this point. We've been going over an hour, and and right. historically speaking, people will tell you that 
there <laughs> the tune out is real so we're gonna go but listen all i care about at this point in time is one more celtics win and then four more and then four more after that but one more one more celtics win i hope everybody out there uh listening has a great mother's day whether you are a mom or you're with your mom or you're celebrating your wife or whatever you're doing i hope it's a great mother's day i hope the celtics play in the evening so that you can make mother's day a day and not just a few hours of breakfast in the morning or whatever it is and uh come monday tuesday whenever it is that we do our next show it is a a celebration a look ahead and not a post-mortem that is what we're rooting for and you know what i'm dangerously feeling good thanks to ian thompson thanks to evan valenti i'm adam kaufman thanks to all of you that are listening rate review subscribe thank you to our sponsors remember we're coming at you twice a week we will talk to you again real soon